Roberts, British science fiction writer, academic, and professor at the University of London. He's author of 25 science fiction novels. Well, speaking of supply, you have three books coming out this Gear and I'm not sure what I meant when I wrote that. Does that mean 2020 or 20 or 2021 or 2022? But anyway, this year you have three books coming out. Tell us about them. Yeah, no, you're quite right to rebuke me. Uh, that's just—it's just not enough, is it? Really, I've just been lazy. That's what you're saying, yes. and I have to take that on the chest. That's fair enough. I haven't done. Have I got three books coming out this year? So what are we? 2020. One, I lose track of time. Lockdown has completely destroyed my sense of calendar time. Um, I have... Do I have three books out this year? You know... I'm losing track of where I am. Well, I think it's Purgatory Mount, The This, and... I, I have to go look at the website here. <laughs> so I had, a, yeah, I had a book out last year. I had a novel out last year called By the Pricking of um, His Thumbs. And I had a non-fiction book out called It's the End of the World, which is a sort of study of different apocalypses and religious and science, science fiction apocalypses and theories about the end of the world and stuff. Those, that was two books last year. This year, I think all I've had is... No, I've, I've had two books out this year. I should know, shouldn't I? I'm going to write them. <laughs> you should write oh, them. Rather then... embarrassing to figure this out now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I should come clean. I don't write anything. It's all... I, I have a, a young lad in in Bombay who writes all my books for me and I earn a flat, flat fee and I take all the credit so I have no idea what's in any of my books in fact I can't read so that's it the stuff behind me this is all just wallpaper to give the impression that I'm a bookish type this year I put out I published a novel Purgatory Mount and I published a non-fiction book which is a more academic title because I'm also a professor at the University of London at Royal Holloway University of London and as a professor I specialize in the 19th century so I wrote a monograph on George Eliot's Middlemarch called Epigraphs and Mirrors uh, in Middlemarch which is you know Middlemarch is a great 19th century novel but it's not science fiction in any sense and the, the this is coming out next year 2022 it should be out in February and I don't know how many books I'll have out next year but I mean, I Check it with the guy in Bombay and say, hey, what do we got planned? <laughs> exactly. It's a crack on. I might have to raise his fee to get him to up his productivity. I mean, your broader point is well taken, which is that I'm a bit overproductive and it doesn't do anyone any favours. I think generally readers prefer a writer who puts out a book every now and then, every few years, so they don't feel swamped and overwhelmed by it. And I'd like to blame that for my lack of, of oh, larger fame. Okay, so I found the list. It was on fantasticfiction.com, the this, okay. Purgatory well, Mount, and classic science fiction stories. So I think you, I think you said that last uh, one. Okay, well, yeah, classic science fiction stories is a is an OUP collection. I didn't write that. I just curated a collection oh, of classic science fiction stories, and I wrote a little introduction for it. So I suppose that's you know that's the title that's out this year. You're right. I should make the most of that. I assume we're going to talk about Purgatory Mount later. In fact, maybe a reading from it. Is that what we got planned? 
uh, we can do that, man. I mean, I, it's up to you. Okay, a, cool. Is that would that work? Is that a good thing? Yeah, yeah, it's, it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. and, and so let me uh, focus on a couple of the ones that we'll talk less about. So tell us more about classic science fiction stories. What's, what's in there? I'm glad you're asking that question because I have uh, the answer. At the <laughs> Excellent. I was going to, it's going to be I rather think, awkward here. <laughs> um, what it, it is, <laughs> it is a collection of classic science fiction stories that Oxford com- commissioned me to edit uh, they have a, a series, I think, of classic short stories in different modes and idioms. And the only the, the main constraint there was that it wasn't it was classic stories, so it's not stories that come right up to 2021. And the advantage for the publisher there is, I think, all but one of the stories, and maybe all of the stories, are out of copyright, so they can just reprint them without having to pay you know, fees and this, that, and the other. So they are the stories that go all the way back to. Where I where I argue science fiction begins. Some people say science fiction begins with Jules Verne and H.G. Wells. Some people say you go back further to 1818 and it begins with Mary Shelley and Frankenstein. Uh, Brian Aldiss famously said that was the first science fiction novel. But I think it begins much earlier. I think it begins with the, the Protestant Reformation, the 17th century. Johannes Kepler wrote a, a, a short novella called Somnium, which means a dream, which is about a sort of trip to the moon where he encounters all sorts of strange moon aliens. And then I think all through the 17th and 18th century, you find these fascinating, basically science fiction stories. So I, bu- I chose a bunch of them, the more interesting and the shorter ones, and then a bunch of 19th century stuff right up to the beginning of the 20th century. So I was interested in what you were, were talking about because I was also trying to like, how do I say this, discover what was the earliest science fiction at one time. And I started with Shelley as well. And then mm. I backed up to Utopia. Uh, and then I, re- I did learn about, I, I don't know how to say it, the Somnium book. Yeah, Somnium, yeah. And is that, do you recall if that was a French author or? No, so that's, that's Kepler was, was a German. I mean, this is before the unification of Germany. So, um, but he was a, German speaker, and he was a primarily an astronomer. That's what he's famous for, Kepler. So he uh, had a telescope, and he was he came up with some of the laws of planetary motion. And he's he's working soon after Galileo had established the, the heliocentric model that we all go around the sun rather than the sun going around the Earth. One of the interesting things about Kepler is his his mother was accused of being a witch. So this is at the time of the witch craze in Europe. It, it happened in the States a bit later with the Salem witch trials and stuff, but at the beginning of the 17th century in Europe, there was a craze across Europe, particularly Northern Europe, in which women were accused of being witches. And Kepler's mother was accused of being a witch, and he had to leave the royal court where he was the official astronomer and go home to help her defend herself against this trial. And she was eventually acquitted, so she was luckier than many women at that time. And right near the end of his life, he published this in fact, I think it was strictly it was published after he died, posthumously published in 1631. He published this short book, which is a really strange mix of two things. One is the first part is a story about a traveller who goes to Iceland of all places and enc- encounters some witches there, and the witches say, "Oh, we have the we have the magic. We can take you up to the moon if you want to go and see what the moon is like." So they flew me up to the moon, he says. And then the second part of the story is not fantastical. It's not magic or witchcraft. It's this really dry but fascinating scientific extrapolation as to what life would be like on the moon based on Kepler's astronomical observations of the moon. So he he knows that the moon has a 
a, a two-week day and a two-week night, and he knows, therefore, that the day must get really, really hot because the sun is beating down for two days and the, the night must get really, really cold. So he imagines what kind of creatures could live in that environment. So he says, well, these creatures must come out at night when it's bearable and they must all go into holes in the ground during the day, which is why we can't see them. And the atmosphere must congeal into ice at night and then sublime into atmosphere. It's really fascinating stuff. And the, the, the aliens he imagines are kind of they're not humanoid as all previous kind of space aliens or creatures from the stars were they're genuinely alien i mean he's a really fascinating figure kepler but then all through the 17th century and the 18th century there was suddenly a, a great mass of these stories set in a plausibly scientific universe so the other argument which goes even further back is everything science fiction going back to Lucian Samosata, who was an ancient Greek from the first century AD, who wrote a story called The True Histories, in which a, a, a ship is sailing oh. on the Mediterranean and a great storm sweeps it up into the sky and it happens to land on the moon. Wow. But that's not very scientific. That's a kind of crazy, entertaining, but kind of crazy, sort of rather surreal fantasy and satire. The first thing, the thing that Kepler does that no one has done before is he takes all his scientific research and he says, well, I wonder what this would actually be like if somebody lived there. So I'm extrapolating it kind of scientifically. So I stand by my claim that Kepler's Somnium is the first science fiction work. Somnium, it's, it's a Latin word. It's just that we get, you know, insomnia means you can't sleep. Somnium is just a dream. It's just mm. the what happens when you sleep. And it was written in Latin because Latin was the scientific lingua franca of the day. Nice. Yeah, I, I wasn't connecting that Kepler with the Kepler, the astronomer. So that was, that's, and, and, you know, written by an astronomer as well. That, that kind of helps. And then it adds it in the, like, he went with hard science fiction, if you will, speculative hard science, as hard as he yeah. could get for, for the moon. So that's really curious. Let me just share something here. When I was trying to find even more ancient texts, so you brought up the Greeks' uh, poetry, I suppose, is what that would be, about the, the ship being blown into the moon. I didn't know about that. Yeah. And then I believe what predates that, but I haven't been able to actually find text to confirm, is there's some Hindu texts about metal flying ships and radio that they use for uh, communicating with each other. And they, when they say radio, they mean like uh, they, 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 this <clears throat> cast of, of, of wise men had the ability to communicate with each other. And it was kind of like mentally, except it wasn't. It was somehow framed as radio. And I, since I don't read Hindi, I haven't really been able to crack that. But I have a few friends who are, you know, they, they, they told me about this and, 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 and sent me references that I can't read. So <laughs> that's kind of where I'm at on that one. That's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, it's also, so my, my kind of general position is everything is, pretty much everything in human culture is either science fiction or fantasy, except for quite a small kind of subset, an exception, which we call realist fiction, which is quite late on in the day, actually. It's not until the 18th and 19th century that people start writing novels that sort of are set in a recognisable version of our world. If you look at most stories, medieval romances or a poem like Beowulf, or if you look at the stories of the Greek myths, or if you go back to Homer, or if you go back to the epic of Gilgamesh, there are always fantasy, magical elements in it. It's always about magical powers or gods or monsters, because those are the stories that people are really interested in, in hearing. The difference with science fiction is science fiction happens 
at around the time of the scientific revolution when there's a, a new kind of fantasy where instead of it just being kind of arbitrarily oh you have magic powers oh yes you're a god or this is a monster you start saying well how might you explain this apparently magical power instead of being able to telepathically communicate is there some machine that you're using and that then becomes sort of science fiction but it's very it's kind of hard to find stories in human culture that simply reproduce the world in which we live and i kind of I, I get that i you know i'm not sure we need stories that reproduce the world we live in because we live there we know what that world's like people want something a bit more imaginatively you know extravagant something a bit more stimulating and wondrous and that's what almost all stories are oh, interesting yeah, no, that's an interesting frame. I never, I never thought about that. Uh, maybe science fiction is the earliest form of fiction of liter of literature, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. Sci-fi thoughts wants to expand. We want to grow from not just your podcast player but to spread to your co-workers, your family, and your friends. But I haven't got any friends. Why, you little... One, two, three... Oh, no, you don't. We know you've got friends who are, who are into the science, who are into science fiction. These are the people who are playing Halo and Stellaris and, and other space games instead of watching college football. There are the ones in the NASA t-shirts who are busy inventing something with their 3D printers. Email them a link to this podcast. Send them a social media request. Heck, even speak to them and tell them that you've enjoyed the show. The main point is to impress upon them how much you enjoy sci-fi thoughts. Tell them to go to the URL sci-fi thoughts.space. Don't keep sci-fi thoughts secret because keeping secrets from science fiction fans just isn't nice. In this episode's show notes, you will see a TEDx talk by Adam Roberts and an assortment of other activities. Where are the show notes? Check out the show notes in the podcast player app. You just need to go click on in the app and you will see the notes there. If you don't use a podcast player but you downloaded the MP3, just go back to this website where you got it and you will see those words right there. This is a continuing episode of Sci-Fi Thoughts, so if you're like my friend Forrest and you missed the first episode, go to your favorite search engine and type in Lancer Sci-Fi Thoughts Archive, and the show series starts at episode 180. Next episode, more Adam Roberts. A few years ago, I wrote a novel called The Thing Itself, and the thing itself is this isn't going to this is going to sound rather unappealing and i think that's fitting because it's quite an unappealing novel but i'm going to pitch it anyway the thing itself is a kind of novelization of immanuel kant's critique of pure reason kind of mashed up with john carpenter's film the thing 